Welcome to the Federation of Asian Canadian Lawyers, Faculty of British Columbia podcast. We are a diverse coalition of Asian Canadian legal professionals. We promote equity, justice, and opportunity for Asian Canadian legal professionals and the community. We foster advocacy, community involvement, legal scholarship, and professional development. The purpose of this podcast highlights the diverse and unique members of our community. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Faculty BC. My name is Maggie, and I'm currently a second-year student at the Peter A. Allard School of Law. And I'm Charlene, currently an articling student at Connect Family Law. Maggie and I will be your co-hosts today. Our guest today is Gaynor Young. Gaynor is a director at White Law Twining and has been recognized by her peers as one of the best lawyers in Canada for her work both in insurance law and personal injury litigation. She has also recently been re-elected as a bencher for Vancouver in the November 2021 elections. Gaynor is very active in the legal community, providing pro bono work, support to lawyers, and mentoring to students and young practitioners. She has been recognized by the Vancouver Bar Association with the prestigious Peter S. Hindman Mentorship Award. Thank you so much for joining us today, Gaynor, and congratulations on your re-election as a mentor. Today's episode will cover two topics, your experience and outlook on diversity and equity, as well as your experience as a mentor. So before we begin, we would like to start off with a couple icebreaker questions. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. And we're just so honored to have you on our podcast. Yeah, we noticed that you like to travel. Um, so we would like to ask, where was the last place you traveled to internationally? And where would you like to go when COVID is over? So I had all these plans when COVID started in 2020, because I turned 50 in 2020. So we had all these trips planned. And we started off in the new year with the first stop, which was, we went to Iceland. So we went to Reykjavik and we stayed near the Blue Lagoon area. Um, and we also went to London and then came home. And then we had all these plans for, you know, spring break and the summer and then the winter break, but that was it. Everything shut down in March of 2020. Before COVID, we were planning to go to Africa you know, traveling is, is like our family's most favorite hobby. But now I find with COVID, I just want to stay at home. I just, um, I'm not, I'm not really that excited about getting on a plane or traveling mm -hmm. far. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm not that comfortable being away from extended family. I, right. I need counseling after, after 2020. <laughs> I think we all do. <laughs> Gone used to this weird new normal. <laughs> I know, like recently we went to a movie theater and I felt afterwards that I had done something really exciting and dangerous. Um, so, so yeah, lately I've been just wanting to stay close to home. Mm. What movie did you watch at the theater? Um, we, my eldest really wanted to watch uh, Eternals, the superheroes movie. Oh. Yeah, and I okay. really wanted movie theater popcorn which I hadn't had for two years Aww. so it was a it was had a good all-round outing. Gainer have you seen Shang-Chi? Oh Shang yes we were there yeah. opening night. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh did you? Members of FACL um, were not there on opening night they should be ashamed. <laughs> that is me but I, I will go watch it. <laughs> okay, you must go watch it Charlie. I know like, I know my friends keep telling me did it come out during COVID, actually? Or? No, it just came out uh, 
it was just in the past a few, few months ago. Ago? Okay. 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 Yeah. I will go watch it. Rest assured, it's, I will. Actually, now you can watch it for free on Disney. Plus. Okay. 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 I will ask my friend who has Disney Plus. So don't worry, guys. <laughs> Asian representation. Yes. Yeah. On that topic, maybe we could move on to our questions about diversity and equity. So, Gainer, I was wondering if you could speak to what does equity and diversity mean to you. I'll talk about it in the in the professional sets. To me, it means it means a level playing field. It means that everyone, regardless of race, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, disabilities, everyone has the same access to opportunities. And, and it means that none of those identifying qualities matter in the context of professional development and opportunity. So it, it means to me not having some people get to ride an elevator to the top floor while others have to climb a rope. And so with equity, if you have that in place, diversity will naturally flow. If you provide equal opportunities to everyone, then you are going to see, I mean, specific to us, you're going to see a, a legal community, which actually represents our community. And I also feel that EDI is not something that was at the forefront of people's consciousness years ago, but it is now, which I, which I think is, is really good. Even for me, I feel that I didn't really pay attention to EDI growing up as a, as a female Asian litigator. It was, it was a very male dominated area of practice. And I just accepted that there would be extra challenges for someone like me. And so put my head down, kind of ignored the system because I didn't think that there was anything one could do to change it. And I just hoped that if I worked hard and, and did better than others, brought in more business than others, that I would get to advance. But thankfully, that's not the case now. Thankfully, people are not that way anymore. People are fluent in discussing EDI principles. And I think that's good. And even I have, have come through sort of my younger years and now am far more aware of, of EDI in terms of, of the profession. I think it makes a difference. We have two daughters of color. And so the thought that they would face obstacles because of their identity, it pains me in a way that didn't bother me when it was myself. Like the thought of that in their future is unbearable and, and unacceptable. Since you were sort of talking about how you've seen equity and diversity and how it's been talked about over the years and how you see it affecting the next generation, um, could you talk a little bit about how the legal community has progressed in terms of equity and diversity since you've been called to the bar? I think that there has been progress. When I started my career, more often than not, I was the only woman at the table, whether that table be in the courtroom or at a mediation, a discovery, or just at a meeting. Um, and in the early years of my practice, I could, I could probably count on one hand the number of Asian female civil litigators that I came across. Um, it was just, it was such a rarity. Um, and, the, and there's a negative consequence to that too, 
um, because it was kind of accepted that, or there was an understanding. I don't even know if that's too strong of a word it, because it was never directly conveyed, but there was this understanding that there was only really room for one person of, of a certain gender or a certain color at a firm. Um, and so then you started to see others who are like you and by others, I, that's very general. I mean, in terms of gender, in terms of just a different race, you started to see others like you as competition. Um, and so there wasn't, I feel this, this cohesive united group where we were going to go out and change things together because we were all fighting for that one seat um, at the table. But I think, but that isn't the case anymore. There's just, there's a lot of diversity at every table that I sit at now. I mean, there's been considerable progress in firms. Um, and I, I don't know what the motivation is. And, and in many ways, I don't care what the motivation is. Like, are they, are they advancing EDI because it's the right thing to do because they value it? Or are they advancing EDI because it's, it's the smart thing to do. Um, and it is the smart thing to do. I mean, we're lawyers, we're service providers. Um, if you have a homogenous legal team with identical blind spots, how can you provide exemplary service? Um, if you, if you have a homogenous legal team, that's not equipped or fluent to understand and, and communicate effectively with a wide range of clients, um, you're not providing exemplary service. You're not even providing, in my view, basic service. And so I think smart business means offering a legal team, which reflects the diversity of our population. Um, so I think there has been change. Um, I don't know whether it's because values have changed or just people are being strategic in how they're um, managing their firms for whatever, whatever the motivation is. I, I really, I don't care. I'm glad that there is progress. Um, it's, it's so different than what it was like when, when I started off, you know, I, I started practicing in 1996. When I started off, I was at a firm where they lost a generation of, of really smart female lawyers. Every woman who reached, I'd say, between four to six years of call, because that was about the time when, when they were getting married or thinking about starting a family or about to start a family. There was this whole generation of women at this firm that, that left. And the reason was that the that the firm didn't allow part-time arrangements, not even, never mind 50%. They, they didn't allow 10%. Um, and so that led to this exodus of female talent. At about the same time, there was um, a study that came out that put a dollar value on the loss of an associate. So for every associate that left, that was equal to a loss of a couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, and then I think that made the firm take notice. And it wasn't, it, the, 
the thinking wasn't that, okay, we can go out there and let's go hire some men um, because they're not going to leave us when they're thinking of starting a family. It then became, we can't afford to lose this talent um, because we need this talent to service clients, but we also can't afford to lose this talent because of the value of, of losing that investment we've put in over the course of the number of years. And that led ultimately to a policy change. Um, and I benefited from that. There were part-time arrangements allowed. And, and for, for me, that was something that encouraged me to stay on in this firm because they saw the value of making the workplace flexible in a way that would encourage women to stay and, and, and succeed at the firm. Yeah. So Gaynor, um, in your venture candidate statement on equity and diversity, you wrote combating unconscious bias, providing tools and spotlighting diverse legal organizations as potential steps you've chosen to take to improve equity and diversity within the BC bar. Could you elaborate on why you've chosen those three as potential steps to take? Okay. Let's start with combating unconscious bias. I I think I I've chosen that because I, these are all things that are personal to me. Um, these are all things that I feel that I've, I've experienced. And, and so naturally, I see solutions um, that are connected to problems that, that I faced. I think that unconscious bias is a barrier to accessing opportunities and, and leadership roles for racialized lawyers, for female lawyers. You know, for instance, there's studies which show that men are promoted on their potential, whereas women are promoted if they have a proven track record. So women need to do more before they can advance. And there are also studies which show that women who negotiate for a salary increase, they're viewed as selfish, they're not a team player, um, they're just looking out for themselves. Whereas men who do the exact th- same thing are viewed as ambitious and somebody that you want to be on your team because they are aggressive and they're ambitious and um, assertive. So there's this unconscious penalizing of, of women who stand up and demand things um, for themselves. And I think that that impacts their ability to be invited to join certain teams, be invited to certain opportunities. Um, I think that impacts their ability to advance in an organization. Um, and it's not them. It's, it's not the women. It's the people in charge, whether they are women or men. It's the people in charge who I think have this unconscious bias and it leads to this system that isn't equal to everyone. So that's something I, I would like to see improved in our community. And I, you know, I talked before about there being a lot of diversity now at tables that I sit at. But there's one table where there isn't diversity. You know, in the associate ranks, it's common to see at firms a 50-50 split generally in terms of gender. But that's not the split at the partner level. And even more disappointing is the shockingly low number of female managing partners at firms in the Lower Mainland. And, and I say firms in the Lower Mainland because those are the firms that, I, that I'm that i most familiar with. Um, why is that? 
I'm not sure why, but we need to figure out why. Um, so even though that there, there's being progress, I don't think that there's been quite enough. I'd like to see more diversity at leadership levels. So this is one, I think, small path towards reaching that. In terms of providing tools, I'd like to see underrepresented lawyers who perhaps aren't given the opportunities that others are or don't have the access to mentorship that others are. I'd like to see those underrepresented lawyers be able to create their own opportunities, be able to open up their own firms. So that's what I mean by providing tools. I'd like to see resources provided so that those who aren't given opportunities are equipped to create their own opportunities. And lastly, what was the last um, one? The last one was spotlighting diverse legal organizations. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. That goes back to my belief that some firms can be motivated to promote EDI, not because it's the right thing to do, but because it makes for good business. And so I would like to see those firms be acknowledged. I'd like to see them recognized. I'd like to see accolades rain down on these firms who are leaders in recruiting, retaining, and promoting diversity amongst the, the lawyer ranks. I'd like to see those firms be recognized and that recognition be something that's sought after because I would like other firms to be encouraged to do the same thing. I like how you sort of touched upon um, the unconscious part of, of why our equity and diversity is still lacking and still needs progress, but also the conscious front, which is, you know, what makes good business? What, what do people want to be known for? Like just both sides of the coin. So I think that was really great. I think it's really, it isn't as simple as, you know, people at top are sexist or racist. And so we're not seeing advancement that way. I think that unconscious part plays, it, it's a huge, it's a huge player in what is happening. So this was a few years back and I was talking to a lawyer who's in charge of, or not in charge, he's, he's a part of the hiring team at his firm. And he's, he's Asian. And we were talking about this recent hire that he got into his firm that he was really excited about. And it was a person that I knew as well. And he said at some point in talking about this new hire, he quote unquote, even looks like a lawyer. And then he stopped and he was horrified um, because the individual we were talking about was a um, good looking young white male. And, um, and he was horrified uh, because he realized what he had said, and and I think it really it, it I know it bothered him because we we talked about it since. It showed that along the way, even he, a young Asian lawyer, um, had been somehow taught and had somehow come to accept, at some unconscious level, that lawyers aren't really supposed to look like him. Lawyers are supposed to look like young, male, mm -hmm. um, and white. Um, so, so there. When I talk about unconscious bias, I'm not talk. I'm not targeting people who are um, 
who are white, um, who are not a members of faculty. I mean, we are also guilty of the same thing. We're just, we're just not aware of it. Right. I think so often when a certain narrative is so prevalent in society, we believe it and we buy into it and it unconsciously seeps into our minds and we sometimes even promote it unknowingly, just not realizing the effect of how we're living our life, how we're yeah. doing our jobs as lawyers. So yeah. it's really important to unpack that. I mean, so we, not meaning to guilt trip you, Charlene, <laughs> um, but even when we were talking about Shang-Chi, um, you know, it's a it's a frivolous, funny, um, fun superhero movie, but it actually means so much more. Um, I'm getting a little emotional talking about it, but I love at Halloween seeing young kids dress up like Shang Chi um, mm. because growing up there weren't Asian superheroes for mm. for for kids in my generation to mimic the super you you were taught that um superheroes are white and that's changing like we are seeing superheroes now that are um asian like it's it's very for me that's i'm so glad my kids get to grow up in this generation yeah that's it that's really awesome just seeing more representation all around um, all around yeah since we were kind of just on the topic of how women are in the legal industry and how, you know, at certain points it becomes hard for them to stay, what are some words of advice that you have for Asian lawyers who are seeking partnership or directorship at their firms? And or sort of to give it more context, what would a racialized lawyer do differently from a non-racialized lawyer in this climb? I've been asked the question of what it takes to be successful at your firm if you define success as, as becoming a partner. So this is my number one piece of advice. And it, and it isn't specific to racialized lawyers. I think that the most important thing to do is to care. If you care about your work and your clients, you are naturally going to put in the highest effort into your work product. Your work is naturally going to be strong and consistently strong. If you care about your colleagues, your actions will be that of a good teammate as someone who's dependable, as someone who is known to have your back, as someone who you would want to be your partner. And if you care about the firm, you will be focused on, like a parent, you'll be focused on nurturing its well-being. So you will naturally want to mentor. You're naturally going to want to boost morale in the office if it needs to be boosted. You're naturally going to go out to the market and promote the firm and try to bring back business um, because that's what is necessary to take care of your firm. And those actions make you someone that one would want to be a partner with. So that's my number one piece of advice is you have to care. And partnership, I think, will naturally flow from that. In terms of advice for racialized lawyers, I would say this. 
it's really important to be yourself. That's a mistake I made early on in my career. I was at a firm that was predominantly white male. I really wanted to fit in and I followed along with what the firm traditionally did in terms of socializing and marketing. So that was drinking, which I don't enjoy. I, I can't do it. So, you know, I'm there nursing a soda water. That was marketing by taking clients out to golf. That was marketing by taking clients out to watch hockey games, neither of which I enjoy. And so when you're there doing something that you don't enjoy, you can't really engage in a you know, passionate conversation about it. You can't fake enthusiasm for something that you don't like. But I went along with it because I really wanted to fit in. But when you go along with things and you're not being authentic, you can't fit in because people can't connect with you because they're not seeing the real you. So once I became comfortable, I would suggest, hey, let's all go to dim sum. And back then, you would be shocked at the number of people that, that would ask for a knife or, and fork at dim sum because they couldn't use chopsticks. Everybody knows how to use chopsticks now, but that wasn't the case then. So dim sum was this really, you know, unusual suggestion for a lunch place, but people started to like it and, and people started to, to talk about things that were of interest to me because I, I started introducing things to the social fabric. Don't ignore or downplay your identity. It's the only way you could really develop true connections with your colleagues. And professionally speaking, your identity is what sets you apart. Your identity will allow you to appeal to a different segment of the client pool. Your identity may enable you to see a different angle or approach or strategy to a file. Your identity will bring color figuratively and literally to a firm. And that's a really good thing for the firm, not just in terms of firm culture, but in terms of, I, I say it again, in terms of good business. So that's my advice is don't try to fit in by downplaying your race. Being Asian is a big part of my success. I would say that I, I didn't see success in terms of client development until I realized that. Well, thank you for your advice. I'm sure our audience will really appreciate your words of wisdom. And speaking for myself as a young student, just being able to hear about your insight and see your success as an Asian female lawyer is honestly inspiring. But just to shift gears a little bit here, Congratulations again on your re-election as a venture. Thank you. Could you explain for us a little bit about the role of a venture? So there are 31, I think there's 31 elected and appointed ventures in BC. And we act as the directors of the Law Society. We're tasked with promoting and protecting the interests of the public. So ventures will work on policy will participate in a number of different committees, one of which is EDI. 
they'll participate in task forces and also regulatory proceedings. So things that are fun to do are we meet with every single articling student in the province in a one-on-one interview. We answer questions from lawyers. They could be technical or ethical questions. So we're there as a resource for lawyers in the province. So it's a lot of community work and it's been really fascinating work. So on the topic of venture, when did you first run to become a venture? And maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the highlights that you've had as a venture. I ran sometime in the summer in a by-election. It was to fill a spot uh, vacated by a lawyer who was called to the bench. And then three or four months later, I had to run again in the most recent general election in November. So I was reaching out to people and people were saying, what, you again? Do I have to vote for you every three or four months? I said, no, this one, this one will, will stick for two years. So my experience, it's been very fulfilling. I really like working with people. And I find in my job as a civil litigator, there aren't as many chances to work in, in a team because your clients don't want to pay for multiple lawyers to be working on the same file. So I feel that the work at times can be very isolating. And in terms of working with partners, I do get to work on teams, but oftentimes that is going out and, and trying to secure business. So trying to, to market together, trying to land a client together. I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's for selfish reasons. It's for the firm. It's not a bad thing. It's fun. It's necessary. But what I have found at the venture table is that you have a group of people who are very passionate about law. They're very passionate about the legal profession, and they want to make a positive change in the legal community. So you are with a group of people are really excited and passionate about doing good. And for me, that's been very fulfilling and it also has been very inspiring. Tina, I'm curious as to how you implemented your views on equity and diversity in your role as a venture. That's a really good question and a bit difficult to answer. So first off, I didn't get a choice in terms of which committee I was appointed to. So I I was not appointed to the EBI committee. Maybe that will hopefully change in in January of 2022 when the next term starts. I really hope I get the opportunity to be on that committee. But the fact that that I didn't and may not speaks to how popular that committee is. There are many ventures who want to be on that committee. And it's not just not just racialized lawyers, there are so many ventures that want to work on EBI because they know EBI is important. So we'll see whether I get on that committee. In terms of implementing my views on EBI, the reason I say it's a difficult one to answer is because I can't I can't discuss ideas that are on the table or work that is being considered until those initiatives are approved. But I have to say that there is a lot of work and a lot of excitement, and we'll see which of those ideas get rolled out. What are some of your advice for young lawyers who aspire to become ventures in the future? I see the role of a venture as 
being one of service to the community, to the legal profession. So my advice to young lawyers would be to get involved, serve your legal community. There are so many things that young lawyers can do. I know that young lawyers are figuring out their technical skills. They're figuring out their career. So they may not feel that they have anything worth giving. But that is absolutely not true. So I suggest that young lawyers offer to mentor a law student, volunteer with Access Pro Bono, get involved with faculty join a CBA section, get on the executive, join the VBA, also try and get on the executive, do volunteer work with them. I really encourage young lawyers to find a cause or organization that you're passionate about and give, share your knowledge, share your skills and and give your time. So that's my advice. Get involved and give. Thank you so much, Gaynor, for joining us on this episode of Factful BC. It was truly an honor to have you here with us. Thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun. And thank you to our audience for tuning in. We'll catch you all next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning into the Factful BC podcast. Visit our website at factfulbc.ca and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at BC. We hope you enjoyed our episode today and stay tuned for the next guest. If you have guest speaker suggestions, please email us at membership at facultbc.ca.